0: Welcome back to another empowering episode of Level Up and Live, the podcast that's your compass on the journey to a more fulfilling life. I'm your host, Sean Myers, joined by my co-host, Ewan Heinemeyer. And today, we have a truly special guest joining us on the show. The e-commerce fanboy, CEO of Erion Media, dedicated family man, and the charismatic host of the Push To Be More podcast, Matt Edmondson. Get ready for an episode packed with insights, wisdom, and a healthy dose of inspiration as we dive into Matt's journey both in the world of e-commerce and his personal pursuit of a balanced, meaningful life. Before we dive in, a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. You're the heartbeat of this podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss a moment of inspiration and share this episode with a friend who would appreciate you thinking of them. And there's a little extra for you. Check out our treasure chest of free guides and planners in the show notes. It's our gift to you on this journey of self-improvement. Now, without further ado, let's elevate our minds and lives with the one and only, Matt Edmondson. I wasn't sure how I was going to start
1: this episode off because Matt is a Liverpool fan, and I didn't know if that would lose a lot of fans or gain a lot of fans, or people would be like, what's Liverpool? Because it is here in America, but I I know Liverpool very well. Followed English football for a long time, but uh, so clearly I've started with that. But Matt is an e-commerce—I want to say king. I was looking at his uh, LinkedIn bio, this the podcast things he talks about, and this man is a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge, and, and he's already just before the show said a number of things to us, and I, once again our minds are blown on on what we don't know, and and Matt definitely helped us out. So um, I can't wait to dig in and just um, understand how it is you do what you do at the level you do it at. Because you're a CEO, you've got employees, you're running multiple businesses, multiple podcasts. And it sounds like a lot. And I'm like, I, I deal with a lot, Sean deals a lot, but I, I don't know what your calendar looks like, Matt, but I would love to see how you manage it all. But yeah, if you could give us a little bit about yourself, just to follow up there, man, we'd love to hear it. Well, thanks, but It's good to be on the show, man. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to
2: this one. Uh, all week. And, good. Um, so it's great to chat to you guys. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I I don't know if I'd call myself the e-commerce Kim, but thank you. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, very <laughs> nice. Um, I often call myself an e-commerce dinosaur, uh, just because I've been around it for so long um, <laughs> since 2002. And you know, if you measure digital years like you measure dog years, that's a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> and so um yeah I, I, that's more how I refer to myself really but yeah no, I've been doing I've been doing e-commerce like say since 2002 I've been podcasting since 2012 and um, love both those things and we built businesses around both those both those ideas um I was recording the other day and I was telling the story about how I got started in e-commerce we we had a little web design agency um, that was making very little money. I'm not going to lie. You know, we were just starting out. We were just scratching for a living. You know what that's like when you first start, right? Um, and we, we set this business up and I, I, I was doing website design. I taught myself how to code. So this is in the late 90s, the early, you know, early noughties. And um, e-commerce was starting to become a thing. So I thought, well, oh, I, I need to figure out how to write a, a website, an e-commerce website, just in case someone asks us about it, I suppose. And so I called a friend of mine who sold tanning products, right? Um, and these were just creams that you wore when you went on tanning beds. That's that's all they were. And I said to him, I said, listen, I need to build a, an e-commerce website, figure something out. Do you mind if I use your products as a guinea pig? I'm going to put them online. If anybody buys them, great, because I'll just buy them off you and then I'll ship them out. Is that okay? And they're like, that's totally fine. I was So, I mean, I was really fortunate. You know, these guys were really, really kind to me. And so we wrote the first website. It's called Tan Mad. <laughs> Tan Mad. Yeah, Tan Mad. <laughs> this is 2002. Uh, this was 2002. And so we launched the website in 2002. And um, I fell in love with e commerce the day I woke up and checked my email and found out somebody had bought something from me whilst I was asleep. Oh, cool. And I, and I, I just thought, hang on, I've, I, I've woken up richer than when I went to sleep, right? And um, I thought, this is genius. This is this is inspired genius. This is what this is. And so, um, yeah, that sort of kickstarted a journey. And here we are, 2004. So that's twenty, what, twenty-two years later. So yeah, been a long old time.
1: Amazing. I mean, so it went from tanning products. What was what was your next thought on that man? There's because there's just infinite amount of things. And of course, in 2002, I'm I'm trying to remember. I mean, the internet was. Was was up and coming still. I mean, it was out, it'd been out, but it was really, I guess, e commerce had been rolling. And, you know, there's a lot of supplements getting sold, I think, at that time and whatnot. But what was your kind of your next thing that you jumped onto?
2: Uh, what did we go into after telling products? We've tried all kinds of things over the years. The thing that we did do after that was beauty and played around a little bit with beauty. And then we set up a business. Um, called Jersey Beauty Company. Uh, And Jersey Beauty Company launched 2006. And um, it was set up originally by a guy called Andy, um, who's a really good friend of mine. And Andy and I at some point became business partners. And uh, he's such a legend, this guy. And, And we set this business up. And we thought, I mean, this was 2006. So research wasn't quite what it's like now. But 2006, we thought, man, if we we could sell 50 grand's worth of product a year. We were aiming for like a thousand pounds a week. Um, so, what's that like, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a week? We were aiming for that in our first year. We thought if we could do that, we would clean up. And we launched the website August 2006. And by December to so the end of December 2006, so four months later, um, I would have danced a jig if we'd have done. 10,000 pounds in sales, like $15,000 at the time, I think it was something like that. Um, I would have absolutely been over the moon, but we didn't do 10 grand in sales. We did over 400 grand in sales those four months. Wow. And it just went nuts. I mean, proper, full on nuts, instant nuts. And so the problem. And it was, let me tell you, much better problems to have, like how do you scale, how do you finance the stock, how do you distribute, how do you do fulfillment? Because we didn't have such things as like 3PL. So it's not like you could go to a logistics company So say, can you do the distribution for me? Um, because those kind of things didn't exist really for e-commerce businesses back then. How do we make sure the website doesn't fall when there's so many people on it? You know, and all those kind of things. It was just crazy, crazy times.
1: Matt, what, um, what, you must have... You, you don't do that by accident. You know, you must have done, you, you didn't get lucky there. You know, you, you ha- had got the taste for this, you knew what, what had worked and you had planned for what was gonna work. Like what what things did you do to make that happen? I mean, was it the, you knew where to place the ads in front of people or how did, how did you grow that business? Well,
2: be really fair, you didn't, this was, a, this was a very different time of the internet. So um, yes, we use Google ads, Google Ads were a lot cheaper and a lot easier. And there was only three or four of us on on the internet doing it at the time. Um, We had some advantages shipping from Jersey, uh, which, as you all know, is a small island off the north coast of France, uh, independently British. We had some tax benefits that we could take advantage of. Um, So there there were a number of different things at the time which don't exist now, right? So you couldn't do what we did now in the way that we did it. Um, but we built the website. SEO was a lot easier. We got ranked super quick. We knew how to create a good buying experience on the website, and we knew how to ship out product. And so, all the some of these all these things we'd figured out along the way over the past four years, we we knew about and we understood. And so, um, it just took off. It just totally took off. It was great.
0: Matt, so when building this, building what you've built since two thousand two. 20, 20 plus years later, so now you've got multiple businesses, entrepreneur. You've got multiple podcasts, man. How do you how do you balance? How do you weigh your personal life and professional life and what you do? And is your family involved with your businesses? Well, funnily enough, my daughter's downstairs
2: uh, in the office working right now. Very cool. <laughs> Love that. She's um, yeah, yeah. She's uh, bless her. She's sixteen years old. And she's got, she's on half term, which is like a, a, a week's holiday here in the UK. And so, um, she's really good at graphic design and she and I have just a project I've tried to do with our family, but it's pre- predominantly been me and Zoe. We've written a gratitude journal together, which we're going to publish on Amazon. So, um, we're going to do that. We've always, I've always had several things in my head in terms of balancing, you know, things like work life balance. One, I don't know if I see it as work. I don't know if I see them as two separate things. Uh, I don't know if it's that black and white for me. But I've always had this belief that you need to succeed at home first. Um, and so 26 years married this year, happily married. You know, she, my wife is a legend. Um, she's not killed me, <laughs> which I, I still think is remarkable. right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I give her plenty of reasons, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. but she just doesn't, she doesn't do it. Um, and so the kids, I have a great relationship with all three of my kids. Um, I'm super thankful for all of them. Uh, and then we just did lots of little things along the way, which I think were quite fun. So um, the kids understood that I was running a business. Um, and so we would do things a little bit differently. Like I'd never pay the kids pocket money. Um not at all while they are growing up. But what I did do was I said to them that, listen, if you have a business idea and I think the business idea is is good, then I'll invest in it. Right? Uh, so Josh, uh, my eldest, when he was like I think like nine, eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere around there, he came to me and he said, "Dad, I've got an idea for a business." I said, "What's that?" He said, "I'm going to get some. Chi- I want some chickens and I'm going to sell the eggs." So I'm like, well, you understand what this means. It means that you've got to look after those chickens. You've got to clean them out every day. You've got to make sure they're fed and watered. I mean, there's going to be poo involved. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things you need to think about. And he's like, yeah, no, I, I get And we talked about it. And so we built a chicken coop together. Um, I went and bought six chickens, invested in no, his I business. cost them. me 30 quid. And he sold six eggs every day. He had six chickens, and he sold six eggs every day. He made he made one pound eighty every day, and he worked out it cost him ten pence per egg. You know, by the time he'd fed them, and so he was making twenty pence per egg. And he ran that business for a little while. He hated it in the winter because it was obviously miserable Mm. and cold. Um, And a few years later, he sold that business to his brother and sister. that was fascinating. Sitting down with my kids whilst they discussed buying and selling a company wow. together, um, which was quite Strict fun. Contract. And so you know, we,
1: you had them sign, you had a legal document. <laughs>
2: <right>? <laughs> yeah, like Josh had to sign a disclosure non-disclosure agreement. He had to say that he would, you know, not get into the chicken business for the next two years, you know, and not
1: compete. In the <laughs> I love it. Oh man! So is he the older? Is your son the older of the the three?
2: Yeah, two boys and my daughter's the youngest. So
1: is have you found that they've, you know, so they've obviously understood how to, to do business from an early age, and and it just proves, you know, some people out there right now think they can't run a business, and and to be honest, a lot of people shouldn't, you know, because they, at least they shouldn't until they have acquired some set of skills, and you know, starting a business and failing actually qualifies you to build those skills. But them learning from such a young age, uh, have you seen them kind of? take off on an entrepreneurial road or do they do you see them maybe building their own businesses at some point later in the um,
2: I think they all have the capacity to build their own business. I think um, I don't see all three of my, I don't expect my kids to run their own businesses. I, I don't see them all doing that. But I think what they've done, what it meant was growing up, they understood the value of a pound um, and they understood what it was to go and graft and to th- be creative in terms of getting it. So Um, I grew up, my, my parents divorced when I was quite young, like eight, nine years old. And so my mum never really had any money when we were growing up. And so growing up in that kind of environment, I would often say to myself, it's never going to be like this for my kids. Right. And so here I am, I have a business that's semi-successful. It'd be really easy to give them everything that they ever asked for. Um, and I, And then I read the book, The Millionaire Next Door. I don't know if you guys ever came across that book. Great, phenomenal book. And I thought, if I just give them everything that they want, I'm going to screw them up for life. Yes. And so actually by pulling back on that and saying, no, but if you dot, 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 then I will dot, 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 right? Um, And we can negotiate. So when they wanted new bikes, I'm like, I'll pay half. You know, um, Josh, my oldest is a really good guitarist, loves playing guitar. Um, and the guitar he has, he got when he was 11 years old, saved up his chicken money. I paid for half of it. He paid for half of it. Now, you could say, well, as a parent, you should obviously invest in your kids' musical abilities and stuff. But I wanted them to have a little bit of skin in the game. I love that. And so um, I don't, like I said, I don't know if I got it right, but these were just some of the things that we did growing up, you know, with the kids and just really wanted to succeed at home first. And so making sure the kids understood what it was that I did. Um, How it was different, maybe, than just to go into work and and you know, all three of my kids have just had regular jobs where they've also gone and got you know earned their money, and so, yeah, been it's been a real blessing uh, in in many ways, you know, the way that we've done it.
0: I'm curious, Matt. Shifting gears a little bit, we haven't talked about this in previous episodes or even asked the guests, but what's your morning routine look like?
2: My morning routine: I will get up. um, I don't have an alarm clock. Um, I, I tend to wake up around the same sort of time around seven o'clock, give or take sort of five or 10 minutes. I, I, I kind of got rid of the need for an alarm clock mainly because I'm quite, I'm not totally rigid about it, but most of the time I try and aim to go to bed at the same time. Um, I think actually going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time is one of those things that they never tell you about at school, but I wish they did. The the sort of the the change that has on you. And so I tend to get up around seven. um, I will usually do something creative for like 35 minutes, um, 30, 35 minutes. That's usually writing something. um, Because when I'm awake, uh, then I'm really good at sort of that. Then around... 7.45, 7.45, my wife and I will just get together, cup of tea, sit in the front room, just catch up on with each other about each other's day. We'll pray together super quick. And then I will probably go to the gym, uh, do a workout, listen to podcasts while I'm doing workout. And then by nine o'clock, I'm, I'm in the office. So that's my morning routine usually.
1: Love that. And that it sounds pretty routine, in which is one of the, major keys to what we we've heard so many times, like successful people they, they have these indicators. They just they do the same thing and they love it, enjoy it. It's the life they want to live and they do it on repeat and it brings results, you know. And uh I could it sounded very blissful, your morning. It really sounded great. Uh, it's interesting. I I remember during lockdown,
2: um it's a little known fact about me and not to totally Take the podcast off tangent. Um, But I also pastor a church. I run a church. During lockdown, I got asked one question more than any other question. I mean, people all over the world were emailing in asking this one question. And it was all to do with sleep, right? Everybody's sleep was at the wall. And I thought, this is a really fascinating question to the point where I started to study out sleep more than I've studied anything, really. Um, And I started to put a... I don't think I'll ever release it, but in times of writing, I started to write this book about sleep. Um, And just looking at, like, scripture on sleep, you know, how did they do it thousands of years ago? What was the whole big deal about it? And I came to this sort of revelation in my own life because I hated sleep. I thought it was a waste of time. I thought if I could if i could sleep not 8 hours a day but 5 hours a day and function the same i would be so happy cuz of all the stuff i could get done in that extra 3 hours and i saw it as something that i i had to do and my thinking changed a lot around this when i i remember i was walking in the park and i was just sort of thinking things through and i came to the revelation that i lived my life in a very binary way like i was 100 miles an hour go to bed, sleep, wake up 100 miles an hour. It's very off, very off. But nature is not like that. It's a sine wave. And so of a nighttime, of an evening, when it comes to dusk, nature's sort of getting itself ready for bed. There's a process that it goes through. It doesn't instantly stop and try and sleep. It kind of winds down. The colors of the sky change. The sounds change. The smells change. You see what I mean? Nature's sort of getting ready for bed. Yeah, and it's same in the morning, dawn, right? There's a process, you know, we're getting ready to wake up, but there's a journey here. And they normally last about 70 minutes, dusk and dawn normally last about 70 minutes. And so if nature needs this process to get ready for a morning, and it needs this process to get ready for its nighttime, then who am I to think that I can do something different? (laughs) fight against, you know, uh, the whole planetary system. And so... um, that's when I became a bit more of a fan of this morning routine of creating something that lasted at least an hour. For me, it's two, that eases me from sleep into the day rather than just feeling like I need to hit go. You
1: know, you just made me think we're doing a lot of running right now. We're actually running our first marathon this coming Sunday. We've been training for months. I've been a sprinter in the past. I've always liked to go fast. But I never thought about sleep like that before. That Like waking up and just getting into it is like going on a 100-meter sprint all out. With no warm-up no stretching no it's like you're gonna break something you're gonna hurt yourself doing that but you warm up you you do a few reps you, you stretch everything off and get ready to rumble and then you ease into that moment where you can just explode and that's how you can keep coming back day after day to continue to do it and yeah and the cool down yeah the cool down exactly man yeah, that's huge and if the people who listen to this show a lot of entrepreneurs business owners entrepreneurs and yeah, it, it, it's a bit of an epidemic, you know. People are like, how can I fit more in? And it's like, well, you can fit more in by trying to fit less in. You know, it's 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 counterintuitive.
2: It's a very good point. It is because I was the opposite way around. I was like, I can fit more in by going to bed a little bit later and getting up a little bit earlier, and my life was wrecked. You know, I, that's that's a very over. Dramatising it, isn't it? Really? It feels like it. <laughs> yeah, it just felt like, especially if you're throwing young kids into the mix, you know. And yeah, it can it can cause all kinds of issues, can it? And so, yeah, that whole process the um, the waking up to the day is great. My wife's a big fan of we call. <laughs> She'd kill me if I told you this, but she she calls it faff time. So faffing <laughs> the. the the time between us saying it's time to go to bed versus actually being in bed ready to go to sleep, lights out, that whole process of wind down, I, I would just call it the faff time. And so, um, because there's a lot of faffing involved. Yeah. And so, um, uh, which is, I don't know if that translates actually. The, the word faffing in English just means. That means what? Just kind of nonsense really. It's just kind of the, 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 the silly things that you have to do.
1: Um we, we use that word in Scotland and, and, and so I still use the word faff, but my you know, they, they don't use the word here in the States, but my, I've used this so many times my wife now says it and, and she's right. like oh, I'm yeah. faffing around, you know, so it always makes me yeah. laugh when I hear her say it. it? <laughs> <laughs> just get it's
2: on with it. Just get on with it. It's what was it? Yeah. It's like faffing around and just get on with it. Um but yeah, no, I think it's super important. Super, super important.
0: So yeah, I do got it, Matt. Shifting gears a little bit. Uh, what is something? What's what's your biggest struggle right now? what are you doing to overcome this struggle? Business or personal? Oh, which one do you want to hear about? Let's 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 do a business.
2: So in business, what's the biggest struggle we have right now? So we have a one of our companies um, is like a done for you e commerce services business. So we bring in. Uh, So so we're brought into companies to run their entire e-commerce operation. So we manage everything, you know, marketing, fulfillment, inventory, um, all that customer service, everything is managed by us. And so in the midst, it's quite an involved service. So we don't have many clients because the clients that we have, were so invested in them, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. The downside to that is... You only have a few clients, and so there's a balance that we have to think of as in in that business with that agency. We have to think about how do we get more clients without sacrificing the quality of service that we give. Um, because if we sacrifice the quality of service, the clients won't won't be happy. They won't stay. But if we don't get more clients, I think it's not that there's we can't grow because we're growing. We're, we're almost doubling in size every year because we're helping all our clients double in size every year, right? So we work on a percentage basis. So as they do well, we do well. Um, so it's not that we're not growing; we are. We're growing quicker than quicker than a quick thing on a quick day, which is just a beautiful thing. But it's like, how do I, how do we mitigate risk? Because if you're, if you've got, you know, all your eggs in one basket, for want of a better expression, and we're doing everything we can to guard that basket. Um, But I think how do we how do we spread the risk by getting more clients into it? So if one client leaves, it's not such a big deal on the on the company. Not that anyone's leaving right now, but it's just something in the back of my head. And I,
1: how do you how do you what's the process to make that decision? Is it because you think well, oh, we'll we'll just scale, we'll do what we've been doing, and we'll bring more people in to help do that? But obviously, it sounds like it's quite a um, tailored uh, thing that you're providing to your to your clients, you know, and, and so it might not be as easy as just, oh, bring more people in. You know, like what, how do you, how do y'all, is it a fast decision that you would want no, to make? It's not at all
2: because the problem you've got is we've done a few services for clients in the past and it's not worked out. Not because we're not good and not because the client's not good, but because I think from a cultural point of view, we just don't, there's, it's, there's not that chemistry, that connection that I think you need with business. Um, and so there needs to be that sort of cultural alignment. And so the issue is, is if I to find the clients with the same cultural alignment with us, where we can help and supply, you know, this service. If I'm going to grow staff in that area, I've got to grow staff with that same cultural alignment and technical skill. If that makes sense. And so that in itself is not a quick thing because the old adage be slow to hire be quick to fire you know that that i am very aware that bringing people into the organization that don't fit from a cultural point of view is one of the worst things i can do as a business owner it really is and i think um, we have a little we actually have a little graph a little ma- a matrix that we use on the vertical axis we measure competence um, you know how well somebody can do their job which is what you it's what they tell you in their cv or their resume isn't it this is how well I can this is how cool I am how competent I am but if we if we measure on the horizontal axis um, cultural alignment then it throws this whole graph out a little bit so what you can have is you can have somebody who is low on cultural alignments but they're high on competence well these people my experiences they're actually terrorists in your organisation because you're afraid to lose them because they're high performing, but they're running around doing whatever they want to do. And no one really seems to stop them because of, you know, they is the the archetypal sales guy who just doesn't care what the impact is of him agreeing something in a deal. You,
1: know, you can't afford to lose me because I bring all the business in. And so I can, I can kind of do I'm special. I can do what I want, type thing, you know.
2: <laughs> We've all had those people in our companies, and it's the hardest decision you have to make, I think, as a businessman is is actually letting those people go
0: how 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 important it is because i i look at it from a leadership standpoint is like okay as a leader i brought them in right and so i kind of released the reins i let them go do what they were going to do but at the same time like i'm going to take extreme ownership here and i've started because i was that was my mentality is like i'm going to bring in super producers i want them just to go run a bunch of business and bring in a bunch of sales well, that can be cancerous down the road, and so now up front, I talk about core values. I talk about vision. I talk about what we stand for, what we're about, and typically, what I have found that 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 either weeds them out or, or you know, it it, it brings up a red flag. So I know culture is important to you. Do you do you have those discussions when you bring in somebody to the organization or their com- the yeah, company?
2: Yeah, we have um, we have a questionnaire.
0: So anybody that applies for a job at our organization.
2: They they typically the process here is in the UK is they'll hear about a job they'll send you their CV or their resume with a cover letter right we just have an autoresponder and it instantly goes back saying thanks for sending these by the way we're not going to read them um, what I what I need you to do is fill out this application form and so that instant so let's say the, I remember we we we. Um, advertise one job, 400, uh, 400 people applied for the job. I'm like, how in the world am I going to get through all of these applications? So by having them fill out the application, I don't get 400 people, I get 20. Wow.
0: That okay? right so right it just kept
2: out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right off the, if you're not prepared to fill out this application, I could care less. Like, <laughs> you may be the best performing person, but you are not going to fit. In the application form, um, we say things in there like what our core values are. And we ask questions like, if you were a superhero, what would your superhero name be? Mm. What would your superhero power be? And then we have a little box where you can draw your superhero costume, right? And we've had people do simple pencil line drawings to full-on glitter bomb paintings in that (laughs) box. And the whole point of the questionnaire is there's not any right or wrong answers. It's just, I want to find out about you. And if you if you're the kind of person that's prepared to have a go at drawing your superhero costume, there's probably a strong chance you're gonna fit in well with our organization.
1: I've never heard that before, and I like that. Yeah. Man, that right. Well, I, let me tell you a story
2: because you'll love this then. Yeah. Right.
1: So we
2: we harp on. So if you're the opposite side of terrorists is superheroes, right? So if you're high performing if you've got the cultural alignment and the competence alignment we call those superheroes if you've got cultural alignment but you haven't got the competence the question is can we train you and if we can those are much better people than terrorists for your organization you just have to think two years down the line right so we're always on the lookout for these superheroes which is why we ask these questions and we had a we had a deadline for a, a job application for a marketing person in our in one of our econ businesses and, um, I was in Jersey at the time and I got a phone call from Rach who, uh, who used to work for us. Um, and Rach called me and she's like, Matt, you are not going to believe what is happening right now. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, some guy has just pulled up to the office dressed as Batman. <laughs> and He has come in with a tray of cupcakes <laughs> oh, wow. and a job application for his friend. So this woman had filled out this application. She loved it so much, she managed to convince her friend to dress up as Batman, bring some cakes with her job application. You talk about memorable. Yeah. Now, how different is that yep. to, to someone who just sends you a cover letter and a CV, right? Yeah. Totally different. All because we took the time to think about what questions do we want to ask people to understand their answers, which will give us some indication of cultural alignment and mm. One of the best things we ever did.
1: Did you end up hiring that person? No. I was <laughs> just say that's a tad extreme, you know? <laughs> no,
2: no, at all, I thought, I th- there's been three or four job applications which have totally stood out in my memory over the years, and that was one of them. Um, the trouble was, whilst that was good, when we did more recent, when we looked at our application and when we looked at obvious social media feeds, we were just like, I'm just not convinced from a cultural point of view, this is right. I think we would have done some phone interviews with her. So we do that before we do in-person interviews and ask you questions like, just tell me about the last book you read. What did you like about it? What did you enjoy about it? Almost like being on a podcast these days, right? And um, and so I, she didn't actually make it all the way through. Nothing against her at all. I mean, I thought it was a brilliant idea, an absolute genius, but um, yeah, we just didn't think it was a
0: fit you had mentioned 400 applicants, which is impressive, and then 20 of them actually responded to the questions. What do you think separates the difference between the people that responded and the people that don't? Because we see that all too often um, on just in our community and society, just in general, and even in the world. Is like I think that's the separator, and and we preach that all the time. Right? Is is actually getting creative taking action on the things that you don't want to do because we're all we're all lazy human beings right it's just the ones with the discipline the habits the positive habits but i'm curious on your take your perspective on out of the 400 applicants only 20 of them actually responded and you knew that was going to happen what i mean what there's such a gap there why do you think that is i could speculate all day
2: i mean let me tell you the story about michelle so michelle is um my third longest standing employee So there's a guy called Mark who works with us. He's a legend. He still looks 12 all these years later. He's unbelievable. He always looks young. Uh, Michelle works for me. She's number two in my organization. Okay. So she's worked for me the longest, and she is the highest she can go in our company, short of shooting me and she taking over, right? Now, Michelle, when she started with us, um, and she won't mind me telling you this, she'd just come out of bankruptcy. So she didn't have anything. She came from a retail background and it was dog eat dog, very horrific, you know, um, place to come from in a lot of ways. And she wanted to retrain. So she decided she was going to retrain as a bookkeeper. And at the time I had a company that did bookkeeping services and we got a call from an agency saying, listen, um, would you be interested in taking on a member of staff? It won't cost you anything for three months. And if after three months she thinks she's, you know, they're they're worthwhile, then by all means, keep them. And you don't have to pay us any commissions or any of that sort of stuff. You just arrange a Sally direct with them. And we, we, we thought, yeah, cool, why not, right? And so Michelle came along. She just had um, a baby, her youngest, Emily, who's the same age as, my, no, she's a bit older than Zoe, actually. I think she's like 18. Um, so this is 18 years ago, 17, 18 years ago. And she came and she worked for us for three months, okay? She was fantastic. She she was the first one there. She was the last one to leave, and she grafted. And so, of course, we hired her, right? And then over the years, she started out as a bookkeeper. And over the years, as our business has changed and evolved, she's got involved in more and more things. And now she heads up our whole – she's the operations director for our whole organization. And so – I found out sometime later that those three months that Michelle was working for us, she didn't get paid a single penny. And she came in every day, never mentioned anything about, not. I, I just assumed that that agency was paying her something, that it was something to do with some kind of government issue. But no, they they had government funding, but fundamentally people did not get paid. She didn't get any benefits or anything. She'd just come out of bankruptcy. She had a young daughter. She had two of the kids. And here she is working for free for three months because she wanted to retrain. And there was something about us that she liked that made her want to stick it out. And I think for me, a lot of it comes down to, like I've always said, I think anybody can get any job they want if they think outside the box. So if if I want to go work for Apple, for example, Obviously, I've got to have the competence to do it, right? So I'm not going to go to Apple and say, oh, I'm going to design the next supercomputer. But if I want to go work in a job um, in an organization, I'm going to research the, the kind of companies that I want to go work for and I'm going to go look at the kind of roles they offer. I'm going to contact them and say, listen, do exactly what Michelle did and say, I will come and work for you for free for three months. If at the end of three months, you don't think I'm worth the job or the salary, then all I'm going to request is an exit interview with you because I just want to understand why and how I can do better. Um, and what I'm doing there is I'm, I'm absorbing all the risk rather than giving it to the employer who's got to go, are these guys going to be any good, blah, 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 blah. And I think it's, for me, that ability to hustle, to graft, to work hard, to not expect everything just to be handed to you on a silver platter, Um, Everybody thinks, well, to get a job, all I've got to do is I've just got to write this CV. I've got to write this cover letter and I've just got to send it in. And then hopefully, you know, I'll get it. Whereas I'm like, that's what everyone else is doing. Let's think outside the box a little bit. How could, what can I do? Yeah. And so why do 380 people not fill out the application form? There'll be a lot of reasons, most of which I will assume come down to. I just can't be bothered. I just think this should be handed to me on a platter. What do you mean I have to fill out an application form? And that attitude in its own right tells me everything I need to know. So I, please don't fill it in. You know, I, I don't I don't want you in my organization.
0: Uh, agreed. And the reason I ask that, because a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this. And we're facing, you know, because I've hired dozens of employees. And again, I feel like I'm the bottleneck if I'm the leader, right? So my team, my business is only going to be as good as the leader. And so one of the things that's, that I find very interesting and insightful is is okay, so you had to reach out to, or 400 applicants had to uh, apply, and then you got 20 of those. So in my mind, to find the right one, to, to find the right fit, what does that take? What does that look like? Because I, as a small business owner myself, finding the right fits, like how do you, what would be one tip that has worked for you in building these businesses on finding the right people to work for you? I know you've kind of shared, you know, you have your your um, pre-interview process, as far as asking the questions, venting them, but where do you, is there certain communities online, uh, social media, referrals, where has your best people came came from?
2: That's a really good question. So uh, some of the people, I would say 80% of the people that work for me that have stayed and been great people have been referred to us. So they're people that know people that I know in some capacity. Um, and I, I tend to try and exhaust that avenue first. So case in point, we advertised a job two weeks ago for customer service and I just went onto Facebook and I just put a post on Facebook saying, we've got this job. Um, anybody interested, let me know. Um, and we'll tell you the, the process. Um, so what started happening was people that I knew start to tag people that they knew, right? And so someone has got the job now, I, I don't actually know who it is. I don't even know which one of my friends referred them to us because Michelle handled the whole process. I don't get involved in that. But um, but yeah, that, that I, I tend to find works really, really well. That whole referral process. Somebody usually knows somebody and I, I I would put it on fake Facebook and I'd put it on LinkedIn. I'd put it on Instagram, you know, wherever your friends hang out really. Um, and I, if I look at the people... Because we don't tend to lose people here. Um, when people, Yeah, people love to... Work. I think because of the culture. We have... I think we don't pay the best salaries at all. Um, and it's not because I'm tight with money. It's just because we're not flush enough with cash to give everybody 80 grand a year. We're just not. Um, and I think... I think people want to work for reasons other than money. I think money is important, but I don't think it's the primary reason. Um, We found a quick tip. I found over the years that some of the best people to hire are mums returning to work. Because mums returning to work have been out of the workforce for a couple of years, so they're slightly nervous, slightly apprehensive. They, they want money, but it's not the important thing. The important thing for them is they want understanding and flexibility. They want to know if school calls up because John is sick, they can go and deal with Johnny and it not be a problem. Or if they can't find somebody to come and sit with Johnny whilst they're at work that day because he's on holiday, they can just work from home. Or maybe they don't work today. Maybe they work on Tuesday or something. Do you know what I mean? And I think if if I can give them part-time hours you know, anything from 16 to 22 hours a week, I think works quite well. If I can give them that and I can give them understanding and flexibility and I give them training and just get alongside them and say, you're doing an awesome job. Here's what I found. Mums returning to work don't stress, they don't get flat. They can juggle so many balls in the air.
1: I was going to say they can multitask one can multitask more than probably all three of us could if we all tried at the same time. Mm -hmm. They'd have it done for us, you know?
2: (laughs) Exactly. They have massive capacity. Um, And oftentimes, when mums have come and worked for us, when you look back over their CV, they're hyper-educated, insane levels of skill. And to get someone from industry with that CV, I'd have to pay a small fortune, right? And so it works out well both ways. So two ladies still work for me. There's there's a lady called Jen. She came on board, a um, friend of ours. I said to her, I said, Jen, I need someone in marketing for our beauty business. Are you interested? She goes, I don't really know much about marketing. I'm like, I'll teach you everything you need to know. But are you interested? She's like, yes. Okay, cool. So she comes and starts working for us for marketing. How did I know I made the right hire with Jen? Was I went past her desk she was sat at it and she was reading the ingredients off the back of a beauty product. I don't know if you've ever tried to read the ingredients of a back of a beauty product. Those words are not pronounceable. I don't even know how people make these words. I don't know how they communicate with somebody else. And I, I know some of these words are just, I know the pronunciation of them. I don't know where they get it from, from the spelling. Jen was reading these words and pronouncing them correctly. And I'm like, how are you doing that? She said, well, science is my background, isn't it? I said, what do you mean? Turns out Jen has a PhD. She has a PhD in snake venom, which granted is not that helpful in marketing beauty products, but she has a PhD nonetheless. And so she now works in our supplements business. And the science knowledge and understanding she has has paid dividends for us in marketing of those products, right? So I've got a PhD scientist. I've got a lady called Sadaf who works with us on the podcast, um, she's she, when she started working for us, she was working on one of our web agencies. And I said to her, I said, listen, Sadaf, we're short of project managers at the moment. Do you feel like you could handle this? And she said to me, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, could you do that? She's like, did you ever read my CV? And I said, "I actually, this word for word, what I said to Sadaf was, what part of you ever thinks I'm going to read your CV right now? <laughs> Surely you know me by now. <laughs> and so um I went and got her CV, her resume from my email. She said, You need to go read it. So I was like, okay, I went and read it. Turns out she's Prince 2 qualified, which is quite a big qualification where project management is concerned. And when I read below, between the lines, she also has an MBA. And so I'm like, okay, you are a very competent here. How about that project? Which she ran with and did super well. And so she now heads a Paul Apple podcast company stuff. So very competent people look to mums returning back to work, um, I think.
1: Two things there, Matt. I, Kendra Scott, she's a jeweler. She she makes jewelry. Her, her name's Kendra Scott. She's a billion-dollar brand now, and she started off um, basically her business. She was trying to sell hats, and didn't work, but people loved her jewelry, And from and she was literally bankrupt, her hat shop, but People still wanted the jewelry, so she was selling it to them. And so now she turned that from bankrupt on the outside of our stores, crying in the rain, to a billion-dollar brand. And, and I heard her say the same thing. She said, if you want to get good hires and get people to get things done, hire mothers. And, and then I just got to thinking, my mom was a stay-at-home mom in Scotland in uh, Langston Village, and we moved to Edinburgh. And I think she went back to work when I was 12 or 13. And she she was just my mom. And then I find out she has advanced degrees in chemistry. She goes to she ends up dissecting like she she basically like all the all the uh, medicines and, and stuff that come through the country. She would have a whole team there dissect go. them, figure out what's good. And she ran the whole lab. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell me, thinking my mom is like the most reliable, trustworthy mm-hmm. person ever. I'm like, that's the person I would want working yeah, for yeah, us. Like you know, <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah, mums, go ahead. I
1: never thought about that before. My mum is that person. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just, it just hit me. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh man, I, I, Yeah, I, that's a great question, man. We could do some, uh, she could work remotely from uh, from, from, Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> man, man, this was a great conversation. You know, I, like we, we try and keep the podcast to 45 minutes, which we're right at, but I feel like we could keep going because the, the people who listen to the show are business owners and hiring people, firing people is and it keeps coming up we have a, a mastermind a paid mastermind group and that's we just have been t- discussing this heavily all the guys that are in there uh business owners three to nine employees or more actually now and um having to deal with all this you know so it's very pertinent information for them and the people who are going to be doing these things going forward so this is a gold gold mine uh really it's going to be very helpful
2: oh good well i'm glad i can share the stories you know
0: yeah great stories man i i really connect with all of that so Really appreciate you, Matt, man. Thanks for your uh, time, energy, and effort today. Really grateful for you. A uh, couple questions for you. Where can our listeners and audience, uh, how can they support you?
2: Uh, just connect with me. Uh, it'd be great to hear from you. Uh, obviously, we'll try and help if I can. I'm not a genius in any of these things, by the way. I just, uh, I've just lived a few years. Um, but yeah, um, I've got a website, mattedmondson.com, or you can reach me on social media, at methedmondson on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm not sure what it is on Facebook, but, you
0: know, We'll put the links. We'll put the links in there for people to find you. Yeah, awesome, man. And then, last but not least, final question: What does level up and live mean to you? Level up and live. What does it mean to me? It speaks of
2: growth. There's a. I remember someone saying to me when it's about a river. You know that um, the difference between a river and a and just like a you know a, a, the smelly pond at the bottom of your garden is movement and stagnant water always stinks. Um and fish die and it's all that kind of thing you know water has to move and I think level up and live to me is about growth and it's about taking a hold um it's that taking hold of the reason you're here your purpose your calling whatever language you want to use um Paul said it best when he said I forget those things which are past and I reach forward towards this goal and so level up and live, for me, the two things are synonymous in the sense if there's no growth, there's no real life. Um, life is all about growth. And I think if you're not growing, if you're not developing in in something, if you're not if you're not trying to achieve that reason you're here, that divine purpose, I don't know, I just feel like life's a bit smelly, really, a bit stinky. I would hate it. So don't stink, level up and live. <laughs>
1: Yeah man thank you for sharing that man and you know my preacher on Sunday his sermon was about moving forward and he and he had that um from Paul was it uh, Galatians or uh Philippians the, I think somewhere in Philippians Philippians yeah mm-hmm. it was Philippians chapter 1, 20 or something but yeah he just on Sunday had mentioned that it was a great sermon and uh yeah you saying that man that's that was awesome man very cool
2: Well great glad it helps moving forward
1: yeah, yeah, I love that. It's it's embodies everything about what human beings should be doing. You know, like like say, if you don't, if you're not forward, you're stagnant. Yeah, absolutely.
2: You've got a purpose, right? You've got a you've got a reason you're here, and I think life then is about fulfilling that purpose. It's not a one time event, and you've. It's not easy. It's not always happy. It's not always straightforward. There's challenges. There's setbacks. There's suffering. There's whatever language you want to use, but ultimately there's joy Beautifully. and said, i think man. joy comes yeah. out of that growth you know and um i think that's a that's a wonderful thing
1: oh man that's awesome man yeah man thank you so much man well man i i, I say this i've said it a few times not all the time but man you're someone i'd love to have back on the show at some point i mean there's so much more we could discuss and you have so much business knowledge and and there's probably a number of different avenues we could go down that'd be very beneficial for our our listeners so man we will we'll hopefully be seeing you again back here if you accept you know so that would be awesome and anyway, i really appreciate you today
2: oh no it's been great loved every minute of it guys you guys are doing a great thing so awesome keep going keep going keep pressing forward
1: all right man level up and live thank you man
0: and there you have it another fantastic episode of level up and live a huge thank you to our incredible guest matt edmondson for sharing his wisdom and experiences with us today. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as we did, make sure to leave us a review, hit that subscribe button, and spread the inspiration by sharing this episode with your friends and family. Remember, your journey to a more fulfilling life is a marathon, not a sprint. Take the lessons from today's conversation, apply them to your life, and keep pushing towards that next level. As always, find our treasure chest of free guides and planners in the show notes. They're designed to support you on your quest for personal growth. Until next time, keep leveling up and living your best life. (laughs) Oh <laughs>